0: I'm an old guy by scum standards. I can remember 50 years ago. That's a scary thought. That would have been 1969. Does anybody here associate any special events with 1969? What? A Riot at a Rolling Stones Concert. I didn't even know that. Ben? Benjamin? Yeah, I suppose the history books will say that was when Apollo 11 put Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin on the moon. But if you were into uh, pop culture, there might have been something else. Woodstock, wow, I hear there are going to be some 50th reunion events planned this summer. But neither of those events loomed nearly as large in the life of this young 13-year-old who would turn 14 in August as something very specific to Northern Illinois, where I was living. You see, for the first time in 24 years, it looked very much like the Chicago Cubs were going to win the National League pennant. And this was exciting because the Cubs hadn't actually won a World Series since 1908. And that was way back at a time I couldn't remember. But in mid-August, catastrophe struck. Ahead of the division rivals by nine and a half games, the Cubs proceeded to lose 17 of their last 25 while the New York Mets, the expansion Mets, hadn't even been in existence for 10 years, went on a tear and won the division by eight games. That was the last summer I didn't even have a tiny part-time job. It was the last summer I had more free time than I would have ever again. (laughs) I listened on the radio and the two or three times a week when the ABC station in the Quad Cities got the feed from WLS in Chicago, we even got to watch on black and white TV the Cubs games. And I think my psyche was forever scarred with one loss and one defeat after another. That was the year that marked out the Cubs as losers. But it wasn't the last one. The years continued to go by, and it was never as dramatic, but they had some good leads, and and they blew them again. And then there was the time when Wrigley Field was the only stadium in the major leagues not to have lights, deliberately. The owners thought the game should be played by day, and so... We were all set to play the San Diego Padres. We had home field advantage, but because Cubs didn't have lights, they let three of the five games go at San Diego, and we won the first two in Chicago and lost the next three. I mean, it just kept happening. I got to a point where I told my friends, I used to dream of seeing the Cubs win a world series in my lifetime now i think it's a fantasy and then it happened in the fall of 2016 and to this illinois boy that was even more exciting than the broncos super bowl wins and some of you don't care about sports And the purpose of my telling you that is not to get you to like sports, but to understand a little bit of me. See, over those coming years, there were still a lot of nice players in Chicago. And the team came to be known as the lovable losers. And if you need a title for tonight's message, that's it. Lovable losers. As if to fulfill my own prophecy, I created a PowerPoint slide file for this and sent it to the wrong email and it didn't bounce back. So Benjamin very nicely put the text on the screen. But all you've got is the text. First Samuel 16 and the first 13 verses. Not sure which is harder for me to see, my Bible or the screen. <laughs> the Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul? since I have rejected him as king over Israel. Fill your horn with oil and be on your way. I am sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I have chosen one of his sons to be king. But Samuel said, How can I go? If Saul hears about it, he will kill me. The Lord said, Take a heifer with you and Samuel replied, yes, in peace. I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come to the sacrifice with me. Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. When they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. The Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab. And had him pass in front of Samuel. But Samuel said. The Lord has not chosen this one either. Jesse then had Shammah pass by. But Samuel said. Nor has the Lord chosen this one. Jesse had seven of his sons pass before Samuel. But Samuel said to him. The Lord has not chosen these. So he asked Jesse. Are these all The sons you have? I mean, maybe by now he should have been asking about daughters. (laughs) That would be too modern, I guess. There is still the youngest, Jesse answered. He's tending the sheep. Samuel said, send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. So he sent for him. And had him brought in. He was glowing with health and had a fine appearance and handsome features. Then the Lord said, rise and anoint him. This is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. Samuel then went to Ramah. Do you like hero stories? I uh, am told by my daughters and one or two of you that uh, all these Marvel comics turned into movies, all of these superhero movies are just all the rage. I've seen one of them. In the last couple of years. I wish I had time. Maybe when I retire. I can watch more of them. But there is a kind of story. That literary types. Literary people sometimes call. Those that have an anti-hero. And I don't know if you've ever thought about. David, at least in this story, as a potential anti-hero. But as I studied the details of this passage more and more, the more I'm convinced that at this moment in David's young life, he has Almost nothing going for him by the standards of the day. If he's not a full-fledged anti-hero, he's at least a loser. But he might be a lovable loser. Look again at what we just read. God tells... Samuel, it's time to anoint a new king because Saul has repeatedly and climactically disobeyed the orders of the Lord and Samuel has told Saul the kingdom will be taken from him. Not immediately. In fact, it's going to be a number of years before David becomes king. And Saul will act at times as if he hopes God will relent. And other times he acts worse than he has thus far. But this is not the way to start a story about anointing a king. Go and Anoint a king and Saul says, How can I go if Saul hears about it, he'll kill me? Um this this is worse than the Democrats beating the Republicans, or vice versa. <laughs> this is more like uh Vladimir Putin hearing that there's a serious conspiracy to overthrow him in in Russia. And uh, as has happened to some people who weren't even that far along, uh, he'll do his best to make them disappear or poisoned or whatever. No, a public anointing of David five miles south of Jerusalem in the little town of Bethlehem hmm, Bethlehem. I wonder if that's going to prove significant. Is going to get Saul's attention and raise his ire and who is likely to be in more trouble? David, the newly anointed king or Samuel who anointed him? This is not a good start. But, Middle of verse 2, the Lord said, get a cow, get a sacrificial animal and go to Bethlehem and tell the people, uh, I'm here to offer sacrifice. Well, what would a roving prophet be going to a little town south of Jerusalem to lead in offering a sacrifice? And there are lots of possibilities just about anything that anybody offered sacrifices for. But one that intrigues me is if there had been a murder in or around Bethlehem and no one had ever been caught, then a leader in Israel could go and offer a sacrifice on behalf of whoever had sinned And maybe if somebody asked Samuel, so what specifically is this sacrifice about? He would have said something like that. It's hard to tell. But what we do know is that when the elders of Bethlehem, were they out one day sitting at the city gates where elders did their meetings and business, saw Samuel coming, verse 4, they trembled. And asked, do you come in peace? (laughs) The the last time the book of 1 Samuel tells us about Samuel being at a sacrifice is when Saul disobeyed and didn't wait for him. And Saul said, the kingdom's going to be torn from your hand. So the most recent reputation of Samuel is if he shows up in town, there might be trouble. And if that idea about A sacrifice for an unknown murderer has any merit to it? Well, you want to know that there's an unsolved murder and a free murderer going around your town? Yeah, either way or both and. I think you might tremble. But Samuel says, yes, I come in peace. I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves. Come along. And then he takes the initiative to consecrate Jesse. We have two of them here. (laughs) We're doubly blessed. But the biblical Jesse was the grandson of Boaz, who married Ruth. And at the end of the book of Ruth, during the period of the Judges, just before the Israelites demanded a king and got Saul, the book of Ruth ends with a short little genealogy that says Boaz was the father of Obed, who was the father of Jesse, who was the father of David. So the astute reader knows where the story is going. But that doesn't mean that Jesse did, or that Samuel did, or that any of his other sons did. When they arrived, they turned to the next PowerPoint slide. Samuel saw the oldest and the firstborn. And presumably the most grown up, and maybe the tallest. Saul, after all, had been a head taller than most of his countrymen. He had been admired for his prowess in battle, he had been mire- admired for his size, for his brawn, <laughs> not so much for his brain or his morals. But the Lord said, verse 7, Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. No, not as a friend, not interpersonally, but he's been rejected for the kingship. He's not the one who's going to get to be king. The Lord does not look on the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance But the Lord looks at the heart. You ever either look on other people's outward appearance or become consumed with what others think of your outward appearance? the year after the Cubs flopped I was getting ready to go into high school I had my growth spurt late hard to believe as it is I was kind of skinny you too will get old and fat someday (laughs) no you won't you eat much healthier than I do And at least in my high school years, the cool kids were the best looking boys and girls. Or the jocks, the best athletes, and sometimes you could be both. And I was neither. Oh, I was a good student but i had already learned that you don't make friends by being a good student <laughs> some people get jealous and the other others just try to kick everything out from under you and make you feel like a loser and by the time i started my sophomore year of high school i felt like a loser One of the signature events, not as terrifying and troubling as the Cubs collapse, (laughs) but still wounding my psyche was the first day of P.E. class. Nobody told me that the cool kids didn't bother to bring clothes to dress for gym on the first day. So out of about the 35 or so boys in our class, there might have been seven who were compliant like me. But the P.E. teacher, a brand new teacher, who knows how insecure he felt, but uh, he sure never showed it, insisted that the seven of us. While all the others who didn't have clothes sat in our football stadium and watched us had to run a scrap around the stadium. I had no idea what this word meant. Never heard it since. A scrap meant that you started at ground level and you ran up the first flight of stairs. And then at the top level you went over And then you ran down the next flight of stairs and over and up the next until you'd gone around the three-quarters or horseshoe arc of the stadium uh, where there were bleachers. I was not in shape. Neither were most of the other boys who dressed. But I managed to finish last out of the seven. (laughs) With all the other boys who didn't bring their clothes getting rewarded by not having to do it and sitting there laughing at me the whole time. With some choice things to say. I wonder what each of David's brothers was thinking during this ceremony. Nope, not Eliab. Then, verse 8, Jesse called Abinadab and had him pass in front of Samuel. But Samuel said, the Lord has not chosen this one either. Jesse then had Shammah pass by, but Samuel said, well, that's a paraphrase. Actually said, nor has the Lord chosen this one. (laughs) Jesse had seven of his sons pass before Samuel but Samuel said to him, the Lord has not chosen these. Who knows what the seven were thinking. Was, was each one getting more and more excited as Samuel went down the line thinking, I'm going to get something my older brothers haven't gotten. And and what were all of them thinking when Samuel picked none of them? Well, some prophet he is, he must have gotten the wrong household. <laughs> or did one or more of them start to suspect? Knowing what Samuel didn't yet know that there was another brother, he just wasn't there out in the fields as a shepherd? Was there that sinking feeling in at least one of the young men? Oh, crap, it's going to be David. And every time we've teased him, it's going to come back to haunt us. I don't know. But Jesse answers Samuel honestly. There is still the youngest. Uh, the word there in Hebrew can also mean the smallest, and he may have been both. He, he's obviously not a second grader. Not that they had second grade, but he's he's old enough that uh, he can say later that during his shepherding years he had killed both a bear and a lion to save his flocks. But neither is he described as fully grown a young adult so Samuel sent for him and had him brought in it's really fun to look at the translations for this next sentence because the words really aren't all that complimentary but everybody wants to make David look like the hero he was... Well, maybe the best way to translate what the NIV says glowing with health is he was ruddy. Kind of red-tinged head or skin. Um, You know, like some kids have before they're full-grown and the skin color settles in. And... He had a fine appearance. And yeah, I suppose handsome is the best we can do, but it really is the word that you normally use to talk about a pretty girl. Is David a pretty boy? (laughs) This isn't quite, I, I mean... Samuel can't be contradicting himself this quickly. He's just said the Lord doesn't look on the outside. So it doesn't make sense that the point of this description of David was to say he was ready to win a Mr. America contest. It's faint praise, he's kind of an anti hero. And the Lord's response, without hesitation, is, he's the one. Dump your oil on him. (laughs) Anoint him. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. Well, of course it was in the presence of his brothers. They were all there. You don't need to say that unless it's a little bit in your face. <laughs> he anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And a brother, freaking friggin' She's gonna be a baby boy. <laughs> and from that day on, the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. Oh, so finally he's going to be a hero. Saul went home to Ramah. Pardon me? What kind of an ending is that? I mean, Samuel went home to Ramah. Yeah, it's cliffhanger at at the very least. And yes, there are some kind of cool things that happen. Beyond the passage assigned to me for tonight. (laughs) So we're not going to talk. Well, We're not going to talk about uh, David playing the lyre for Saul. Oh, we just did. That's L-Y-R-E, not L-I-A-R. That kind of musical instrument, lyre. And in chapter 17, David's going to beat Goliath. Oh, my goodness, that'll be the most famous thing just about, other than being king, that he's remembered for. But... One of the things that makes Bible reading hard and yet really fun is trying not to get ahead of ourselves. Nicodemus in John 3 goes away from speaking with Jesus and his last recorded words are, How can these things be? Now, later in the book, it looks like Nicodemus starts to get it. And that's great. But the original Nick at night, <laughs> he doesn't get it. Not in John 3. <laughs> For a, a punster boozer, just as much a reward as yays. So thank you. Is it too much of a stretch to say that where we stop here in 1 Samuel 16, David is a lovable loser? So far, the youngest one. Oh, he's just gotten some great news, but it's going to be years before he gets the kingdom and... Oh, yeah, he's going to slay Goliath. And then Saul is going to be so terrified of the threat he poses that David goes on the run, even outside of Israelite territory, even to the point at one juncture of going to the philistines and going to a particular city and pretending to be insane and allowing his spit to dribble down and slobber all over himself so that the philistines don't attack him and now he's out of israelite territory and saul can't go after him oh yeah great reward for being anointed king (laughs) anybody here ever had the feeling that you're a loser Well, anybody who's shared on story night has probably admitted that. And just because you feel like a loser doesn't mean you feel like a lovable loser. You might feel like no one could love you. If the beginning of my sophomore year in high school was kind of my low point in life to that point, things started to turn around in the spring because one of my few friends invited me to something called Campus Life. It was a club that met in different kids' homes once a week, and I discovered now 15-year-old boys my age talking about a personal relationship with Jesus that changed their lives. I had been brought up in a church, but I had never seen anybody, certainly not any boys my age, who could say that. And if they did say it, their lives didn't show it. But these guys did. And there were seniors. Oh, my goodness. Do you remember when people two years older than you were ancient? <laughs> Who actually took an interest in me. This was unheard of. And and didn't care that I was a nerd and a geek before either of those words was invented. <laughs> and I put my faith consciously and intentionally in Jesus in the spring of that year and things started to get better. But not all at once. And they didn't for David either. But David is a name that keeps coming back again and again throughout the Old Testament as the one from whose line the Messiah would be born. Jesus, the son of David, the descendant of David. Boaz, Obed, Jesse, David, reappear in the genealogies of Matthew and Luke. Two weeks ago, we celebrated on Good Friday, Jesus as the world's worst ever loser. Crucified, one of the most agonizing deaths humanity's ever invented, but worse even than that, sensing the abandonment of the God who had been with him throughout his life when he cried out, My God, why have you forsaken me? But then two days later, we celebrated resurrection. And the not-so-lovable loser became a very lovable winner. And we can be lovable winners, too. Except not everybody understands that. And a lot of people have continued to reject Jesus. And therefore will reject his followers. But God in Christ loves us no matter what. There is no place we can run from God so far that he doesn't follow us. Corey Ten Boom, at least the character who played her in The Hiding Place, used the wonderful line, there is no pit so deep that God is not deeper still. Losers, whatever they think of themselves in God's eyes, are always loved and therefore lovable losers. The Cubs did not invent that concept. And in Christ, losers can become loved winners and therefore lovable winners. I hope that's the way you look at yourself. And if not, it can be if you turn to him. Shall we pray? Father, I know that there are people in this room who have experienced a whole lot more than me to make them think at some point in their life, and maybe even still, that they are losers. There are people here who've been beat up, mugged. Burglarized, shot at, homeless, without money, raped, or other form of sexual assault. And I've never experienced those extremes. But if I can't fully relate, you can. In the brutality you voluntarily allowed yourself to experience on the cross. And through the power of your resurrection as great David's greater son, you make possible the chance for us to live a little bit above our circumstances in this life and a whole heck load above them in the life to come. Would you sustain us this week in our hardest moments with those thoughts and in our best moments help us live in ways that would make others want to be like us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.